0: You're listening to The Plugged In Podcast, a new project from the Institute for Energy Research. To find out more about our work, visit our website at instituteforenergyresearch.org. Welcome to The Plugged In Podcast. I'm Alex Stevens, a policy analyst at the Institute for Energy Research.
1: And I'm Jordan McGillis.
0: Joining us today to discuss Colorado's Proposition 112 is Kelly Sloan an Energy and Environment Fellow at the Centennial Institute at Colorado Christian University, a columnist with Colorado Politics, and the Policy Director at Principles That Matter. Kelly, thank you for joining us today.
2: Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
0: So before we get into uh, Prop 112, let's discuss the oil and gas industry in Colorado. Um, How big of a role does the industry play in Colorado's economy, and what impact has the industry's growth had uh, in your community?
2: Sure. Well, it's a Uh, It's had a huge impact uh, in Colorado. It's got a huge, uh, it's a huge part of our economy. Uh, It's probably the principal driver of of the Colorado economy. Of course, you know, everybody uh, talks about our marijuana industry, but that's, uh, you know, that's uh, uh, pennies compared to what the oil and gas industry contributes to the state. Uh, Last year, the oil and gas industry contributed $31 billion to our state's economy. Now, to put that in a bit of perspective, our state budget is about $30 billion, So, uh, you know, to to say it's it's an important part of the economy, it's kind of an understatement. Uh, It supports uh, something in the area of 240,000 jobs, uh, $23 billion in wages, and pretty critically, when you look at the impact on local communities, uh, is the uh, the, uh, revenue generation that it's uh, created. Over the last few years, uh, every year, it's generated about a billion dollars to state and local governments for roads and bridges you know, local infrastructure, police, fire, emergency services, uh, school districts, that kind of thing. The jobs in oil and gas in the state account for about 7% of the state's total employment. Uh, there's roughly 1,100 businesses in the state that are, uh, in one way or another, supporting oil and gas, part of that supply chain. Uh, get, and we're getting back to uh, the tax numbers. In 2015 and 2016, the industry was responsible for about $840 million dollars Uh, Directly going to K twelve, so you know. And and over the last year you're looking about fifty million, eight million dollars in severance tax. So these these are these are huge numbers. These are are bigger numbers than any other sector of the state's economy. So it's a it's a big deal, uh, you know, in terms of what it can what it provides for the state.
0: Absolutely, and so election day is only about twenty days away, and there's an initiative on Colorado's ballot that would have serious implications for the energy industry and from what it sounds like you're saying for Colorado's economy as well. So can you explain what Proposition 112 is, and maybe just give us a brief history of the backstory of how this proposal got on the ballot, and who's behind it, and just sort of the background information of the uh, the, the proposal?
2: Sure. Well, so ostensibly, it, it, what, the, what the measure does, uh, quite simply, is establishes a 2,500-foot setback, that's roughly half a mile, for any oil and gas equipment, not just wells, but uh, tanks, pipelines, other uh, elements of the gathering system, any oil and gas infrastructure, 2,500 foot setback from any building, any dwelling, any uh, property line, or property line around a school, uh, a hospital, that kind of thing, and critically, uh, from any any water source, which can include uh, intermittent streams, you know, uh, puddles, you know, that are uh, intermittent streams, are those that you know maybe once every couple, three, five years, uh, there's actually water in them, and any other uh, what they term as vulnerable areas, which can be pretty much anything that they uh, <clears throat> they want to decide that means. Uh, uh, riparian areas, wetlands, you name it. Uh, what it would do in, in practical matters would be to drive the oil and gas industry out of the state. It would eliminate 85% of the service area, the land, from any oil and gas activity whatsoever. Not just drilling, not just fracking, but any of the other uh uh, activities go along with that and uh, putting in gathering systems uh, uh, water treatment that kind of thing.
1: Kelly yeah, would, exclaims... this, would this this uh, yeah, affect existing um, energy infrastructure and projects or are we talking about just new things?
2: Uh, well it's it's new things but uh, you, it, in, any additional work you'd, you'd want to do on on any wells you know if you need to bring in a bring in a workover rig or something uh, that would be that that wouldn't be allowed be allowed either. So, any any new work that has to be done, you know, adding on to uh, existing pipelines, uh, anything like that, uh, would would certainly be affected. Um, uh, but actually, it, it, I mean, it's directed at any new uh, new production. But you know, the the industry is growing, uh, you know, by bounds out here. We have two major basins in the state, uh, in the western part of the state, the western slope. We have the Basin, which is a major uh tight gas play a little bit of oil up in the, in the northern part of it and over in the eastern part of the state the, the most prolific basin we have right now is uh, denver julesburg which is a shale a uh, shale oil play uh, north and northeast of denver uh and you know it's a it, it's got years of life left in it it's, uh, it's a lot of activity out there and that would all come come to a screeching halt if uh, if, if, if these pass um if you take out federal land well, if you take out federal land. You're looking at a 94 percent, 94 percent of the non-federal service area would be eliminated from any further oil, oil and gas activity.
0: Would this be a completely new set of regulations, or how uh, how is the industry operating? Um, what what sort of regulatory structure is it operating under right now?
2: Great. So, uh, ironically, we're we are already one of the toughest states for oil and gas production. We have the toughest sets of uh, regulations in, in the in the country, we already have setbacks. There's a currently a 500 foot setback uh, from any occupied dwelling, and a uh, thousand feet from any high occupancy dwelling. So uh, like a hospital or a school, So we already have setbacks. Uh, the uh, and, and we, we've we've got some of the toughest uh, uh, water rules. We have we have rules in place that. Uh, you have to do water sampling uh, before, and after, before and after drilling. That we were the first uh, first state to put bring that in. Uh, the tightest methane rules in the country. This is a well-regulated industry in Colorado. Uh, the arguments you hear from the pro-112 side that we need this to, you know, protect communities and protect our, our health and health and safety. Uh, you know that, that that's, a, that's just hogwash. We the, the industry is already well regulated. There are. Uh, no studies out there that indicate that oil and gas production is causing uh, any harm to uh, anybody's health. So it's it, this is really just a, a thinly veiled attempt by some radical elements of the environmental left to uh, do away with the uh, do away with the industry.
1: What I see here, um, as as an advocate for the free market, is regulation being implemented that's really unnecessary because these issues could be addressed through contracts of the parties in question. Uh, if there is a, um, you know, a noxious gas or some other form of pollution that uh, an industrial project is emitting, the property owners around that area would have the right to, to go to the courts um, and, and reach negotiation, reach a settlement uh, with the industrial, um, produce, the industrial company. Uh, I'm wondering, Alex, what you think about that, and if this is an area where we would have an opportunity for bargaining rather than regulation.
0: Yeah, well, I, yeah, I think that's true. As as Kelly mentioned, with the, the reading that I've done on this proposal, at least, there aren't any studies that are showing that there are negative health effects from oil and gas drilling uh, at the distances that they're talking about, uh, that at least justify regulating right and when we would regulating get, the industry the distances that they're talking about here so and when we um, when we go yeah through theoretically the courts, that when would, we go to the court uh, so
1: we would assess that question of whether there is a a uh there is evidence of a harm being committed by by one party uh and in this case we're not Doing that, right, Kelly? It sounds like we're just asking voters to step in and intervene when there there may not even be an actual conflict between parties.
2: Well, absolutely. Well, we we've used uh, in, in Colorado the own, uh, industry has been you know very proactive in reaching out to local communities and uh, local governments and, and working with them. We've been using uh, uh, memorandums of understanding for for several years that have worked very well. You know, with uh, with communities that. Figure out wh- how we're how we're going to drill where we're, where they're going to drill, all, all that kind of thing. So no, there, you're absolutely right. There's no there's no need uh, either scientifically uh, or legally to to impose this kind of uh, it's kind of a setback. Which again, they, the the effect of it will be to eliminate oil and gas production, and that's and that's what they want. You know, they they're not the uh, proponents of 112 are not uh, honest brokers in the uh, in the sense you know, like they're trying to portray in some of their ads and, uh, you know, some of their, uh, some of their campaign. like, Hey, we just, we just want to make sure our children are protected and our water is protected. It already is. Uh, there's been 26 studies, at least um, every one of which has uh, demonstrated that uh, hydraulic fracturing does not contaminate groundwater. There has been no evidence of groundwater contamination from, uh, from that process. So why would you, why do we need to impose you know, this? Uh, you know, this this amount of setback, this amount of regulation. It's uh, uh, it's it's very very clear that this is an attempt by you know some of the more extreme, some more uh, radical, fanatical elements of the environmental movement to do away with the industry. And it's something they they've tried before. Um, a, a very similar setback measure was proposed for the ballot four years ago. That it was pulled, ultimately pulled off by the by the sponsor, um, who incidentally is running for governor right now. Uh, it was pulled off as part of a negotiation with the, the governor at, the, at that time to you know, form a task force to go around the state and work out some of these issues.
1: Regarding, uh, regarding the was... uh, environmental fanatics, as you put it, I'm wondering if you can speak to any cultural bifurcations or divisions within the state, because I know we have, on the one hand, uh, the proponents for this measure, and, and the same sorts of people are filing lawsuits in Boulder County and San Miguel County against oil companies but also as you mentioned such a large portion of the state's economy is centered on energy so is there is there a big division here culturally
2: yeah there, there is uh a, a lot of this uh, is coming coming out of Boulder you know Boulder is a, a little uh it's a, <laughs> a kind of bedroom community of, of Denver it's uh, in northeast and it's it's always been a hotbed of liberalism you know for uh, for decades, uh, and, and that's where a lot of this is coming from. I mean, there's there's no oil and gas production happening in Boulder. In fact, you go to the places where this production is happening in Weld County, uh, Cheyenne County, over in the uh, you know in the, in the eastern part of the state, over in uh, uh, Rio Blanco and Garfield counties in, in the west. You go to those places; they want it. They they live with it. They know what the what the real impacts are. Uh, and you know, voters out there consistently vote for you know pro oil and gas candidates and to, to support the industry. It's people living in these uh, you know little little bubbles of uh, 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 fanaticism in places like Boulder and and Aspen and uh, Telluride that are in Denver uh, that are kind of kind of pushing all this. The uh, the interesting thing to note, though, is a lot of people you would initially can think might be supportive of such a measure. Haven't been, you know. There's there's been uh, some pretty bipartisan uh, consensus that this is just a nightmare economically. Uh, you know, the mayor of Denver, uh, he's a Democrat. Um, he's come, he's spoken out against it. Uh, you know, the the current Democratic governor candidate, who has a history of environmental activism, even he's against this. Now, you know, we can speculate as to whether that's uh, more more political or uh, if he's doing it for uh, pragmatic reasons but uh uh but still you know it's, it's worth noting that even a lot of the uh, major environmental groups are staying away from this knowing that it's uh you know the impact should this pass will be so devastating uh that it would provide a pretty uh, dark black mark on the uh on, on the environmental movement for, for years to come
0: yeah i was surprised uh just doing my research before this the, the number of uh editorial boards of newspapers in the state that that came out against uh, the proposal as well. I thought that was pretty interesting. So it it does seem like there's sort of widespread opposition against this. People are seeing um, that the economic costs of this are going to be rather significant. You talked a little bit about the numbers in terms of economic costs uh, in our opening here. I know um, there's been a couple of reports from... The Oil and Gas Conservation Commission and from REMI um, that have come out. They've talked a little bit about the numbers. If you could just go over that again, just to give give our listeners a, a sense of uh, what exactly the, the the economic costs of this proposal passing would be.
2: Sure. Well, uh, there's a an economic think tank, uh, Common Sense Policy Roundtable that uh, partnered with uh, uh, REMI earlier this year to, you know. Uh, Trying to distill some of these numbers, what the, what the impacts would be if this if this passes, and they're predicting that it would eliminate twenty six billion dollars from Colorado's GDP on an annual basis. Uh, our tax revenues would be reduced by a billion dollars per year. We would lose upwards of one hundred forty seven thousand jobs by twenty thirty. And interestingly, over three quarters of those jobs, about seventy seven percent of those jobs, won't. Be directly in the oil and gas industry of course all the oil and gas industry jobs will be gone but it's also going to eliminate things like real estate construction retail hotels you name it all these other other jobs and industries that are built around you know this key core base industry that we have here so the you know, the, the impact's not going to just be on you know the quote-unquote oil towns you know here, you know that, that's, that directly support uh support the industry and it's not just going to be you know the the Whiting Petroleum and Kermagee and, uh, you know, summer Jay and, you know, the, those direct uh, energy jobs, it's, it's going to be jobs within these towns, uh, and in, in the big cities too. Uh, you know, I, I in downtown Denver, and I, I'd say probably, probably half of the, uh, offices you see down here are involved in oil and gas somehow, either, either directly or through, (laughs) through land and real estate or through financing or, you know, through through legal or, or you name it. Uh, you know, it's, it's, Difficult to overstate you know, just how ingrained the oil and gas industry is, how uh, in, in the state, what an integral part of our, our economy it is, and by extension, just you know what how bad this this measure will be if it uh, if it passes and succeeds in driving that industry out of the state. Just one more number uh, here for you: the uh, state land board has calculated that. Uh, 112 if it passes will eliminate uh, something on the order of 230 million dollars from school funding, and of course, education funding is always a, a discussion that you know, we're, we have in the state. You know, everybody wants. You know, we saw a bunch of protests earlier this year. Everybody wants teachers to be paid more. Everybody knows how important education is. Well, uh, and there's even tax measures, uh, you know, local and local and state statewide to ostensibly to fund education. Well, if we if we're eliminating. A major source of funding for schools, or does that leave our children? Now, the uh, you know the the impacts of this go far beyond just uh, just the industry itself, which is important enough. It, uh, it's going to reach into just about every aspect of the Colorado economy.
0: That's certainly something that's overlooked. Uh, I, I think a lot of the the work that we we do here at IER, we see a lot of instances where people are overlooking, you know, the second and third order effects of uh, of regulation and these sort of policies and ideas. Let me just fire one more question at you before we go. As you know, IER is a think tank here based in D.C., so a lot of our listeners. Uh, might not be from Colorado. Uh, in your opinion, why should people who aren't from Colorado be paying attention to uh, to Prop One Twelve? Do you think that this has broader implications uh, in terms of policy in other states?
2: Well, absolutely. You know the uh, the same the same people that are that are behind this this measure One Twelve here. Uh, you know they're they're all they're all over the country, and they're not going to be satisfied just with driving the industry from Colorado. I mean, they want it. Ban this is all part of the keep it in the ground movement, and you know it's not just keep it in the ground in Colorado. They you know they're they're coming, they're going they're going to go elsewhere next. You know, they, uh, Colorado has kind of a reputation politically as a bit of a testing ground. You know, uh, a place where you can try out you know your ideas, good, bad, or otherwise. Um, you saw with you know legalization of marijuana, for instance. The idea is if you can get something like this, something this radical, passed in you know. Fairly ordinary, run the mill purple, uh, you know, straight down the middle state like Colorado. It's one thing if you pass something like this in a place like California. You know, they expect it there. That's that's easy. Colorado's a little different. It's you know, it's, it's more it's more working class. It's more it's more mainstream. If if they can get it, get it done here, then you can bet they're going to try going to places like Pennsylvania, and Ohio. You know, they may even try uh, you know Louisiana. Uh, heck, they may even try Texas. Uh, good luck. But, uh, or New Mexico, Oklahoma, Kansas, Montana, North Dakota, uh, they're, they're not, they're not going to stop just here. This is, this is the first step. So, so if you're living in parts of the country where you have a lot of oil and gas production, where it's it's a major part of your economy, uh, California still as well for that matter, uh, I'd, I'd be very concerned about this. I'd be, I'd keep a, keep a close eye on it. Uh, and because it could be coming uh coming to your back door next uh no it's it, it's got wider implications than than just inside the state that's for sure
0: sure so uh just before we go uh what else are you guys working at the centennial institute give our listeners um an idea of uh some other projects that you're working on and where they can find more about your work in colorado there
2: sure well uh so uh, uh centennial institute you know, we have we have fellows across the uh uh, across the board, you know, I, I work on a number of different uh, different issues, uh, uh, criminal justice, economic, uh, so on and so forth. In terms of energy, um, when you might be interested, some of your listeners might be interested in uh, the governor of Colorado earlier this year in June signed an executive order uh, committing Colorado to sign on to California's low emission vehicle uh, standards. Uh, not to get into too much detail now, but that's going through a rulemaking currently. Uh, and that's going to be that, that's going to be another one that's going to have a, a huge impact on on Colorado those low emission vehicle standards and the zero emission standards which are coming next um, again because of you know some of the more fanatical elements of the uh, environmental movement kind of pushed that uh, that discussion into that realm but those are that waiver that california got to the to the federal standards to exceed the federal standards those are written for California with a, its larger urban population it's relatively mild winters it's uh different different geography you name it well to try and import that to a place like colorado where you know, of course half our state is, is mountainous we have a large rural population uh long distances between towns in many places don't have the pop you know the huge population centers like uh, uh like los angeles uh we're, we're an suv state we're, we're a light truck and suv state about 75 percent of the vehicles uh, purchased here Fall into light truck and SUV categories because we have these, those harsh winters. You know, get the snows. We, uh, you know, we have a you, you can't pull a horse trailer with a, with a Chevy Bolt. You know that. Yes. Um, you certainly can't get up some of those mountain passes. So that's going to be uh, that. That that's going to be a, that's a fight that's going on right now. It's in a public comment period uh, for the month of October, uh, and that's something else we're we're looking at as well. So there's a uh, energy is always uh, uh, one of the key key issues in the state, and so it, there's always something happening in, in, along that front. Um, and the principles that matter, you know, we've been putting out uh, uh, policy papers as well to talk about this and kind of kind of break it down, some of these issues down into you know, more bite-sized uh, elements that, you know, the, the average person that's not a not a policy wonk can, can kind of digest a little bit better. So um, it's an exciting state to, to live in. Uh, in in, in terms of uh, uh, energy issues and energy politics, that's for sure.
0: Great. Our guest today has been Kelly Sloan of the Centennial Institute. Kelly, thank you again for speaking with us.
1: Thanks, Kelly. Thank you very much.